Hello everyone and welcome to the Connecting Care podcast series where we provide insights into the world of sepsis and the deteriorating patient across Europe. My name is Claire Ratcliffe and I'm the Medical Manager for Patient Monitoring and the Deteriorating Patient in Western Europe for Baxter. Baxter is committed to supporting patients and healthcare professionals with innovations that are driven by compassion for their journeys, a passion to improve care and the ambition to transform the future of healthcare. The Baxter Podcast Programme is a new way for you to hear from your colleagues across the world. I have the pleasure today to introduce John McCarthy, who's going to talk to us about his personal sepsis journey. Firstly, welcome John, and thank you so much for giving us your time today. No problem at all, Claire. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, thanks to Baxter's for inviting me along and, and hopefully getting the message across about how easy it is to stop sepsis if you know the symptoms. I've got some questions for you, is that okay? Absolutely, go ahead. Okay, so first one is, would you kindly let us know what life was like before sepsis? Well, I had two legs. Um, I was working as a middle manager in a big finance firm. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was happy in the role, long hours, but the same as everybody else. Yep. I felt I was adding value to the company. Um, I felt that there would be probably a promotion a couple of years down the way. They were very happy with me. Um, I was living with a girlfriend and bought a place, mortgage to the hills. Um, I was just leading, I suppose, a, 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 an ordinary, middle-class, aspirational kind of life. Um, yeah. Nothing remarkable, um, but I was enjoying life and, you know, yeah. I, it, was, it was good. Yeah. And so tell us about what happened. How did your journey start? Well, living in Stratford-upon-Avon, I've done for a while, but obviously... I'm from up north originally. <laughs> I've been in Stratford a long time. Every year we do an annual trip to Cheltenham Racecourse. Oh. We all start the local pub, the Guinness, and the Prosecco, and the, the wealthier ones drink champagne. That starts flowing. We all get on a coach and we all go to Cheltenham Races. Now, it's like any sort of gig or festival that anyone's ever been to. Really busy. We're going into the Guinness Village. People are leaving. We're trying to get in. There's moving to the right-hand side. More and more. Bang. Hit a barrier. Rub the leg and I could tell, my God, that's going to be really, really sore tomorrow. As the day wore on, I carried on, I got more and more anaesthetised. And the following morning, lo and behold, yeah, my leg's really sore. And you, oh, God, that's going to take a while. The following day, it becomes mottled. Um, the skin was becoming a little bit perforated. It was uh, a little bit like crepe paper. And I wasn't feeling good at all. I'm thinking, God, I'm getting old. I can't shake off this hangover. The next day, I was becoming a little bit disorientated and I was a bit confused. Hmm. And the leg was sore, I was struggling to put weight on it. And intuitively and instinctively, I knew something was wrong. So I got my brother to drive me to the hospital. Warwick Hospital went in there. They ran a load of tests, x-rays. Doctor pronounced, you have cellulitis. It's some floxacillin. Off you go. Go see your own doctor. Yeah. Seven days' time. I got worse the next day. The following day, I felt if I put weight on my leg, the leg would snap. Um, it was hallucinating at this point. The day before, my family were urging me to go back to the hospital, but I told them no, the antibiotics need to kick in. Mm -hmm. So when I went back to the hospital the, on the second, for the second time, I was rushed straight in. It was the same doctor. Um, I left the hospital three and a half months later after spending 17 nights in ITU with my right leg amputated above the knee. Um, 
I don't remember much about it. Okay. But it was a horrific time for my family and my friends who'd all been with me at Tottenham Race Cross the week before. And now they're in the hospital learning about something they'd never heard of, this sepsis thing, and being told John may not make it through the night. But fortunately, I did. Um, you know, every cloud got a silver line, so that's why I'm, I'm here talking to you today. Um, there was a lot more in that journey, and to be honest, Claire, there's a lot more that I find out as I go along. Okay. Um, but that's basically what happened to me. John, that's a story. So how has sepsis changed your life? Massively. Massively. Um, when I first came out of hospital, fortunately, my family, friends had sourced a house for me that was on a flat that was suitable for disabled accommodation. But basically, I was let loose. There you go. Carry on with your disabled life now. So I go to the front door, I'm going up a ramp, I'm pulling myself in, I'm having to learn how to tip myself onto a bed, I've got a wet room, all the furniture has to be re rearranged. Mm -hmm. I'm learning how to be disabled with nobody telling me. I'd yeah. turn up at train stations and say, you can't get on, you haven't rang through. You know, God, no, that's, no one told me anything. But at first I'm thinking, it's be all right, I'm going to be a Paralympian, I'm going to climb Ben Nevis and all this, but I've never done that before. I don't think I had any intention, but I was quite euphoric. I was thinking, I was the boy who lived. You mm -hmm. know, I just about got away with it, you know? And that was the way I was feeling. Then after about three, four months, I was having these horrific nightmares. I was sleeping all the time, but I was suffering from fatigue, um, depression, anxiety. Um, I was pushing people away, these people who had given me so much support. Mm -hmm. I was going to the doctors and they were just giving me antidepressants that was making me worse. And I was like this cycle that went on for about three to four months. My brother finally got through to me and we were Googling the antidepressants and the medication I was on because we all felt that was why I was, I, I was the way I was. And one of the uh, drugs was to aid sepsis recovery. And that's when I had this light bulb moment when sepsis. Didn't someone mention that to me? Because I was never told about it. Okay. So when I learnt about it, that's when I Googled it, and I realised I'm not the only one. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a quarter of a million people like me. There's over a million people who get sepsis. 60,000 people a year, a year die, and I was, I was shocked then. I found out about post-sepsis syndrome. The reason I was having these nightmares was because these were dreams I was having in ICU. Because when you're in ICU, your brain can't compute where it's at. Mm. So you have these horrific themes of murder, kidnap, all happening to your family, so you believe this is happening. So I was getting these flashbacks. Fortunately, once I realised, and I go, well, I can call that person, and I know. I was able to get over that. I knew what was causing the depression, knew what was causing the anxiety. So then I just put every tablet down the toilet, very ceremoniously, boom, boom, boom. Tricky few days after that. Yeah. But then I was able to go to my doctor's surgery and talk to all the doctors there, what do you know about sepsis? And I found they knew very little. And they didn't know anything about post-sepsis syndrome. So I went over to the sepsis trust and I found out more and more about that. And they said, will you go out and talk about your experiences? I'm okay, I'll, I'll give that a go, I've never done it before. <laughs> and I've ended up on this journey where about three, four times a week. But for me, it was fabulous because I know it's a corny expression, getting out there and you go to new places and meeting people, but yep. I was. And the talks I were doing were very cathartic for me and really helped me yep. um, 
with with recovering mm -hmm. and understanding um, about sepsis. And the thing is, is that um, cognitively, I'm only eighty percent okay. to where I used to be. I'll never come back. Um, the fatigue is still an issue, um, like everybody else. You know, if, you, if you're if you're in work and you're a manager, middle manager in a company, you're going to have busy times. You're going to be doing 10, 12 hours a day. And then other times, you know, you're okay. I could never go back to that standard. I could never go back to that work. Uh, people who are directly reporting into me, I think I'd let them down. I'd let myself down, let the company down. But when I'm going out doing these talks, the Sepsis Trust, yeah. it's a very intense hour and a half, two hours with the networking. I yeah. come away shattered, but I feel that I can do that. So... It's 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 changed, it's changed everything. Look, it was horrific what happened, but I feel I'm making the best of it, and I feel that there's so many people, unfortunately, who are in a position like me. Um, there's a guy I know, 33 years of age. This only happened two weeks ago. Toes, yeah. fingers, nose, ears gone because of sepsis. Um, he's struggling. He's got two young kids. He, can't cope yeah. and there's lots and lots of stories like that so I feel I'm their, I'm their voice yes. I'm the one who, who gets out there and speaks on their behalf I feel there's a responsibility on me now um, to deliver our message um, and get people talking about sepsis and raise that awareness so what happened to me and has happened to others doesn't happen to them because sepsis doesn't discriminate you know it doesn't mm -hmm. care how old you are it yeah. doesn't doesn't want to know your gender or your race. If it's got you that day, it's got you. Mm -hmm. That's how quickly you react. John, thank you for that answer. Post-sepsis syndrome, would you kindly go into a bit more detail about that for us, please? Yeah, it's, um, as I said, it, it's, it, it's become more known now because of the long COVID, which has similarities, but before that, nobody really knew much about it. Doctors didn't. Um, it's basically, it, it depends on how severe your sepsis has been and affects different people in different ways. For instance, post-sepsis syndrome will cause some people's nails to fall out and their hair to fall out as well. That didn't happen to me. But I did have flashbacks and I did have nightmares, which is sub subsequently diagnosed as PTSD mm -hmm. because of the dreams I was having when I was in ICU. But I didn't know about this. The lethargy, the fatigue is massive. You feel like you've got the world on your shoulders. And obviously with that comes depression and anxiety, which you've never, you know, as a person, I'd never had before. Mm -hmm. So you're fatigued, but you've got insomnia at the same time. So your mental health declines dramatically, as does your physical appearance, okay. um, as does the, the motivation to look after yourself as perhaps the way, the, way, the, the way you should. With me, it was undiagnosed. I didn't know I had post-sepsis syndrome. I'd never heard of it. Once I found out, and I went to the UK Sepsis Trust, and there's a full list there of the ailments and the, and the, the mental um, aspects of it. Um, I was able to work it out and go, yeah, I've got that because of that. I've got that because of that. And I was able to work with that then. And, and to be honest, within a week or two weeks, I was fine. Once I kind of knew yeah. what you know, what was going on and, and reading about it, but a lot of people still struggle with it. Um, 
and doctors basically go to a surgery. Here you go. There's a there's there's an antidepressant. Still feeling the same two weeks later. Try this one. And that's the problem with post sepsis syndrome, and I suspect long COVID as well. There's a lot of work going into it. I know the UK sepsis trust are working with uh, uh, NHS England, um, and big companies are getting involved in it mm -hmm. because that it's like I say. People think that you leave hospital, you've had sepsis, then you go. That's it, you haven't got sepsis. No, you haven't. You've got sepsis for the rest of your life. Post-sepsis syndrome is indicative of that. Okay. Thank you, John. And I think you've probably just answered my question, but just to make sure the audience are aware. Yeah. Where is it that they could go if somebody is a family member of or yeah. a sepsis survivor themselves? Where can they go, John, for help? UK Sepsis Trust every single time. What we're trying to do now is get hospitals, um, that when people uh, discharge from hospitals, they're given booklets and the sign posted to the Sepsis Trust. Family members are told what to accept. There's going to be mood swings. You're going to not have the same person for a while. And that becomes easy for everyone to manage. Mm -hmm. With me, once I realised about post-sepsis syndrome, I printed off about 50 copies and given to everyone and said, told you I wasn't going mad. Mm -hmm. That is the sort of thing. Contact the Sepsis Trust. We're trying to get hospitals to give these booklets. Recovery, this is what is going to happen. Because it's going to happen. Okay. That's what I'd love. John, as a volunteer for the UK Sepsis Trust, um, would you kindly explain the symptom card that's available um, and we will make sure it's on the podcast notes at the end? Yes, of course. Um, we've got one here, uh, which you've brought. This is sepsis savvy, but we also have uh, symptom cards that just display the symptoms on the UK Sepsis Trust, okay. which people can just go along and, and get. Now that it's an acronym of sepsis, these symptoms. Um, with the S is slurred speech or confusion. The E, extreme shivering and muscle pain. P, passing no urine in a day. That's important. The S is severe breathlessness. I, it feels like you're going to die. I will come back to that again. And the skin, S, skin mottled or discoloured. Now, in my case, yes. the slurred speech or confusion, yes, and that was evident on the third day. Extreme shivering and muscle pain. I was waking up shivering and the muscle pain was excruciating at times. Passing no urine in a day. I have to be honest, I wasn't aware of this, but subsequently I found out that the first thing sepsis attacks are the internal organs, of the internal organs, are the kidneys, the very hissy organs, and your blood pressure drops right down, meaning you don't go for loo. Severe breathlessness, now this is when your throat constricts. Um, it feels like you're going to die, which is, to anyone who's never had sepsis, it probably feels a little bit strange, but I've spoke to a lot of sepsis survivors, and I recall myself, it's really strange. It's like an aura comes over you and you really feel you're going to die. I think if anybody ever mentions that to you mm -hmm. and they're displaying one or two of these other signs, it's something you should take really seriously because it's, it's easy to be flippant when someone makes a statement like that. And the last one, skin mottled or discoloured, absolutely, my leg was purple and it was a very unnatural colour. Not one of us had heard of sepsis. Mm -hmm. Not one of us knew the signs. It only have taken one person to say to me, go and ask, you may have sepsis there. So I'd have asked the question. Now, when I was, when I was in the hospital, they missed it, but they got really, really close. What final message would you want to leave with the audience today? 
John. Sepsis is a killer. If it if it gets you, I, and it's it's all the groups that are normally um, at risk. So it's pregnancy. Everyone, anyone's immunocompromised, going through leukemia, the elderly, and you know, and children. Um, but for the mass, mass majority of people, um, the workers sort of demographic. If you get a little cut and it doesn't heal and you're not feeling good, get it checked out, ask the question. You can only ask the question. Yeah. Um, un understand how bad this is. Understand how much it wrecks not just the, the victim's life, but all their family and all their friends because it happens so quickly and without warning. Um, just know the symptoms, please. Just know, know the symptoms. And if you spot it in somebody, just ask that question. Thank you, John, for spending time with us today. And also a huge thank you for sharing your personal story with mm -hmm. us. It's been a pleasure to meet you. Been a pleasure doing this with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please make contact with any comments or feedback. And don't forget to look out for the next episode. Mm -hmm.